Hello and welcome to another episode of the NBCSports.com College Basketball Talk Podcast. It is Monday morning, October 14th. My name is Rob Dawson. I got a fun show on the way for you today. I was able to catch up with my buddy and my colleague at NBC Sports, the one and only Travis Hines, and we go through a team-by-team preview of the Big 12 Conference. Uh, Travis is the beat writer for Iowa State, so he knows the league about it as well as uh, anybody at NBC Sports does. Before we actually get into that preview, uh, two things I got to ask. One, please rate, please review, please subscribe to this podcast and any app that you listen to podcasts in, any interaction that you have with us, whether it is giving us a review, leaving a comment, subscribing to the actual feed, that all helps us within the metrics, it helps us in the rankings, uh, and that kind of stuff is really good for feedback and for the numbers, and it makes me look good. So if you enjoy this podcast and you want to help me out, uh, throw me five stars, say something nice about me, throw me four stars, say something okay about me, or throw me one star and just leave a comment when you do. All of that stuff helps. The other thing is we're still looking for reviews uh, with your favorite random college basketball players. Um, I am going to get into that with Travis at the start of this podcast at the very top. Now let's get into that Big 12 preview with Travis Hines. And now let me welcome on to the podcast the one and only Travis Hines, my colleague at NBC Sports, and the beat writer for Iowa State for the Ames Tribune. Travis, what is going on, man? How are you doing? I'm doing great, Rob. How are you? I am, uh, you know, I was doing better until um, this Sunday happened, and then I kind of got cleaned out and, uh, you know, with a couple of uh, gambling decisions that I made, and I got cleaned out with some daily fantasy lineups that I put together. So uh, it was a lot better about 12 hours ago. Expensive weekend for you, huh? It was an expensive weekend. And Iowa State not going over against West Virginia certainly didn't help matters either. Hey, they did their part. It was uh, West Virginia, just no offense there in the second half, man. It was, uh, they were pretty bad. Although losing your starting quarterback on the, what was it, first or second drive of the game probably didn't help your odds there. I don't know. I didn't watch any of it. I just set up the uh, <laughs> anything I bet on. I set up the notifications so I get it to my phone because if I, I can't, I can't watch it without just tilting off the face of the planet. And tilting off the face of the planet doesn't work when you're uh, in charge of two human beings all by yourself for an entire weekend. So yeah, I guess that's uh, so you were like mildly responsible, at least with your children. Maybe not with your uh, your pocketbook. Do people still say pocketbook? I did. I don't know. I just did. I, I so mean, I guess some a, people do. It's an app, so I was not very responsible yeah. with my app. In my defense, I all everything that I lost was all winnings, so I don't feel all that bad about it. Just a little bit bad. I bet you still right. feel pretty bad. Yeah, you know, I felt worse. Um, all right, so before we actually get into this Big 12 preview, um, I kind of teased it a little bit at the top, but one of the things that we're asking for is uh, favorite random college basketball players. And the last one that I talked about um, on Thursday when we did the American Preview podcast was uh, Russ Smith from Louisville, Russ Dickulous himself. And I was just curious if you have any – who are your – like guys that you have no reason to absolutely love and, and no reason to be monster fans of from the uh, from the past. But you got anyone like that? Uh, that I have no reason to. I guess like Kevin Pitsnoggle maybe for – the name just being absolutely beautiful to begin with from actually like being secretly pretty good on those West Virginia teams, hitting some big shots. Yeah. So I'll go with Kevin Pitsnoggle, just one of the great, great college basketball names of all time. It's up there with like God sham God, in my opinion. Yeah. Kevin Pitsnoggle was a man. All right. 
Um, and it's actually a nice little segue because you uh, you uh, you did happen to pick a player from a program that is now in the Big 12, and we are doing the Big 12 preview. I wish I could jump straight into the West Virginia segment here, but that's not actually going to be until the very last one. So we got a little ways to go until we get there. But we are starting things off uh, with Baylor, and that's going to be me. Um, and, you know, I, I so there's been four times in his 15 seasons at Baylor that Scott Drew has earned – a number three seed in the NCAA tournament. Um, and I think that's relevant. And I mentioned it because I do think that there's a chance that this could end up being his best team that he's had uh, at Baylor since um, he's been in Waco. So the interesting thing about them from last year is they like, they really kind of overperformed throughout the year. You know, they were, it just felt like they just kept having more injuries pop up and more injuries pop up. And uh, Scott Drew kept pulling guys like off of his bench and, um, like 10th, 11th men that I had no idea who they were and I had never heard of. Uh, and they just found a way to like make things work with them, whether it was, you know, Devante Bandu or whether, whether it was Jared Butler or my guy, Freddie Gillespie, the, the transfer from division three, uh, Carlton college up in Minnesota, up in uh, your neck of the woods, Travis. So, um, and he brings basically all those guys back. They do lose Makai Mason. And I think that that's probably going to end up hurting them. Um, they lose King McClure. And that certainly isn't going to uh, going to help. And then they ended up losing Mario Kegler. But from what I understand, like losing Mario Kegler is is uh, a situation where it may be um, addition by subtraction, uh, addition by subtraction, so to speak. So um, I really do like the pieces that they have. Uh, you know, Jared Butler is a guy that should be able to step up into a bigger role as a sophomore. They have the two transfers coming in, Davion Mitchell and, and uh, Macy Oteague. Um, and it sounds like this freshman that they have, the Jordan Turner kid, is a guy that could end up being uh, really, really good for Baylor. I don't know if he's he's going to be able to come in this season and, and kind of have the impact that you might think um, of someone at that level. But I do think he is a guy long-term that's going to end up being really, really good for Baylor. And maybe the next guy in that list of, uh, of stars that kind of feel like they come out of nowhere for Scott Shrew. And I think the biggest news, though, I, I kind of buried the lead with this one, um, is that they get Tristan Clark back. And Tristan Clark was probably their best player, at least their best big man, uh, before he ended up – I think it, was, was it, a, it wasn't a torn ACL, but he ended up getting knee surgery, right? Yeah, it was a knee injury. It actually happened – Against Iowa State, I believe, in Waco. I was there. Right. Yeah, so um, they get him back, and, and you know, he was averaged like 14.6 points and 6.3 boards, 2.4 blocks, just like a really, really good Big 12 big. And you put it all together, and uh, I, I don't know if – so they're the kind of team where, like, you don't necessarily need to know the names as much as you need to know that Scott Drew has guys that just work in the system that he wants to play. Uh, he has guys that have already been through kind of the, the just uh, the ringer with him, already been through a season with him. Um, nobody's going to ask them. Uh, and, uh, you know, they won 10 games last year um, in the Big 12 without having their best big men on the roster. So I'm, I'm very much all in on the uh, on the Baylor bandwagon this year. I'm very much all in on this team being, uh, you know, pushing Texas Tech for that second spot uh, in the Big 12 race. And, you know, it's actually kind of weird. We always used to joke about how Scott Drew was a terrible coach, right? And, um, like, that used to be one of the running jokes. I think Gary Parrish at CBS actually had, like, 
one of my favorite columns I think anybody's ever written where he basically compared Scott Drew to Nickelback. And he was all-time like, people classic. make jokes about him all yeah, he's like, people make jokes about him all the time about how terrible they are, uh, but they just keep having success and, and they just keep winning. And um, so I think at this point, like he's kind of he's completely gotten rid of that. Like I I feel like now the joke is to say Scott Drew can't coach as just kind of the the ironic, okay, that thing is we've we've kind of we've killed that joke by now, right? I feel like that's the new joke. Yeah. And uh, it's it's kind of interesting that he's completely reversed the uh, the the stereotype that maybe maybe stereotype isn't the right word, but he's gone from being completely underrated as a coach to a guy that I don't even know if like overrated is the right word, but it's kind of like to the point where everybody knows what he can do. And I think he's going to reinforce that again this year, even though they may not have a pro on their roster. I think that we're going to end up talking about this team as a potential top three, top four seed. Uh, in the NCAA tournament come March. I think they get to the second weekend. So I guess that's what my bold prediction is going to be. This is the top 15 team in college basketball. I agree. I mean, I think you hit it with Tristan Clark. I mean, people forget like he was, I mean, it was Diedrich Lawson, Jarrett Culver. And then I think Tristan Clark was right there. If you wanted to have all big 12 team that first month of the season of the big 12 season, when he went down with the injury, he was really, really good. And to see, the way that Baylor kind of recalibrated everything they did to have the success that they had without him was impressive. But to get him back is, you know, maybe the biggest roster move or biggest roster boon uh, this side of Yudoka Azubuke coming back to Kansas. I mean, it's, he's really good. He was awesome last year. Um, and I'm with you. I think Baylor, you know, you know I, I have them at number two in the big 12. I think they're going to be, uh, really good this year. Yeah, I, I'm really high on Texas Tech, and I guess we'll get there uh, when we end up getting there. Uh, but the only reason I don't have them number two is because I'm a big believer in Texas Tech. But let's keep it moving. Uh, Travis, we're going to talk about a team. I don't know if you know all that much about them. Um, Iowa State. I'm sure you had to research hours and hours and hours to be able to do this little five-minute segment on them. I, I did just over the course of like the last seven or eight years. Um as the beat writer for the Ames Tribune. But yeah, they uh, last year was a weird year for Iowa State where they looked like the best team in the league there for stretches and then really st- stumbled down the stretch uh, before winning the Big 12 tournament and then you know really kind of flaming out pretty badly in the NCAA tournament, tournament against Ohio State. And they, they're basically rebooting the roster. Uh, Tyrese Halliburton's back, Michael Jacobson's back, but they're the only two starters. They had they lost two NBA draft picks and second rounders, Talon Horton Tucker and Mary Alshayak, another starter, Nick Weiler Babb, who was a you know kind of do everything player for them, is gone. Lindell Wigginton is gone uh, to the Minnesota Timberwolves. Cameron Lard, who in my opinion was the best big man in the league his freshman year, completely fell off the face of the earth. Uh, last year in terms of production I think probably due in large part to off the court stuff but he transferred out and eventually decided to go pro so it's really a completely rebooted roster for Iowa State this year Um, Halliburton's back I think he might be the best NBA prospect in the Big 12 Uh, NBA teams just love him with his length and athleticism and his um his IQ, he's a good shooter, but the jump shot takes about a half hour to get off. So we'll see if he's sped that up a little bit this year. He's um, got the weirdest stroke. It's very, uh, it's very Sean Marion. 
yeah, it's it's looping is kind of the way I I mean it like I I made the joke one time he looks like a he shoots like a guy named Chet that played for the Minneapolis Lakers in 1958. Like it's just a slow <laughs> set shot. Uh, but the the big news for Iowa State going into this year is that Penn State transfer Rasir Bolton got a immediately eligible waiver. Um, they they didn't find out until just two weeks ago that he was going to be able to play. And he fills a huge need for them as a uh, scoring punch on the perimeter because they really, as good as Halliburton is, he's not a, he's not going to be a volume shooter. I don't think he's going to be a volume scorer. The other guy they got is Prentice Nixon, who sat out last year after transferring from Colorado State, who averaged in double figures, but it, it, it sounds like that might be a product of the Mountain West, more of his knack as a scorer, that they're going to really depend on him defensively. So what they were really – truly missing was a scoring punch on the outside. And they're really hopeful that Bolton can do that. He averaged 11 points a game last year for Penn state before transferring out. Um, so I think their, their top five is going to be solid. Um, they're going to play differently this year than previously under Steve Prom, or at least they're flirting with the idea of playing with two bigs, which would make me nervous if I was an Iowa state fan, just because you're really zigging while everyone else is zagging there that I, I really worry about their ability to space the floor and make shots and even really defend you know if they have a guy like Michael Jacobson who's six foot nine not overly athletic started every game at center last year they're talking about playing him at power forward where you're going to be going against athletic wings defensively for the most part unless you're playing zone and that would make me nervous if I was Steve Prome. Um, but they, they should, their talent is there despite the rebooted roster. The last time they did this, they didn't have any talent. They finished last in the big 12, um, in 2018. I don't think the fall is going to be nearly as precipitous this year. Um, I've got them fourth in the big 12. I think to me, my bold prediction, they'll still, they'll finish fourth in the big 12, but the the league as itself will be strong enough. Iowa state's non-conference schedule is really strong that, so they're fourth in the Big 12, but they're still going to be a top four seed, I believe, in the NCAA tournament. That's my bold prediction. I think they've got a chance to be pretty good. Wow. You're, you're, think, you're way higher on them than I am. Like I, I still think that they're probably going to end up being a tournament team just because I think that the addition um, of Bolton really does help. And I just I love Tyrese Halliburton, but I, I don't know. That's high. Top four seed in the tournament, that's high. It is. I mean, when I say top four, I mean, I'm like, I think the ceiling for them is a number four seed. So I, I guess I should have been more specific on that. But I, I, they do have a lot to figure out. I think if they can get some production from one of their kind of swingmen, Terrence Lewis or uh, Zion Griffin, who have not played much or had much success where they can slide them into the four and play a little bit small ball, I think that's the the ideal way for them to go. But I don't know if either of those guys are going to be up to that task. And if they're if they're stuck playing two bigs, then I then I do get worried about them because I I just don't know if they'll be good enough defensively, uh, but I, I think the ceiling for them is really high and the floor isn't as low as you would probably expect when you lose all the production off of uh, the team that they had last year. Yeah, and it's really un- well. I don't know if unfortunate is the right word, but it's probably a little frustrating for uh, for Steve Prohm because like he had a, like a lot of those guys were underclassmen that left um, with eligibility still on the table, and, and you know, Taylor Horton Tucker is the big one. Uh, I think losing Lindell Wigginton hurt, but I, I'm guessing that that was probably um, always in the cards. Uh, I think that that, I mean, you probably know better than I do, but it seemed like that relationship had kind of run its course, so to speak. And the Cameron Lard, like, I don't, would he have even been eligible to play this year? As far as I know, but I, I, I think it, the way last season just completely 
crumbled for him. I don't think he was ever coming back to Iowa State, and I don't know how soon on after that he made his decision that he wasn't going to play college basketball. But, I mean, he he was eligible all year last year after being ineligible the first half of his uh, true freshman season. So I, I don't know that there were any eligibility issues, but, like, that – that relationship had probably just run its course. I mean, he was suspended for the first month of the season uh, for some off the court stuff that was never totally spelled out. But yeah, I mean the one, like I think they thought they were going to get Horton Tucker for two years and then Lindell Wigginton. I think they, they had planned on him leaving. I think if Wigginton wasn't going pro from what I'd heard, a transfer was very much on the table um, and they had been planning for him to leave, but like that he's the type of guy I think where you look at like name and likeness, like maybe that's the type of guy that you coax back to college basketball if he can make some money because he went undrafted. He was it was very clear early on he was never going to get drafted, but he had just decided uh, that he was going to move on. So, but you lose both those guys. I mean, that's 25 points um, and a lot of playmaking. And that's why Bolton is so important is, is kind of the replacement for both of those guys on the perimeter. Yeah, I, I mean, look, I, I think Steve Prohm is a good enough coach where he can – find a way to make things work. And, you know, in the big 12, as long as you can get to like right around 500, like as long as you're getting good enough to get about eight wins in the league, uh, it, it's strong enough. And there isn't uh, the floor that you see, like in the, in the big East, there's always going to be teams at the bottom that are just not good at all. And in the ACC, there's like five teams at the bottom of the league this year that are all going to be competing with, uh, with Wake Forest to finish in last place. And, um, you know, in the, in the SEC, there's always Same with the Big Ten. Yeah, the Big Ten's got some some uh, some schlock at the bottom. That's a good word. Uh, Vanderbilt last year was very, 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 very bad. So I do think that there are there are ways for Iowa State. Like if you get to 500 in the Big in the Big 12, you're probably going to end up being an NCAA tournament team just because of the way that that conference is kind of built. So uh, I do think that that Iowa State is good enough to get there. I don't know. I don't know if I see the path to them getting 12 or 13 wins in the league, which is probably what I think you would need to do to get to uh, that number four seed. Um, I just, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't see the talent on the roster, but you see that, that team every day uh, and you know, those guys better than I do. So if you say it, then I guess I got to, uh, I got to buy into it and I got to trust it. Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, they've got the home court advantage. That's huge. And I think the league is going to be really good as a whole, but I, as we go, through it here. I think once you get past maybe those top three teams, I don't think anybody really scares you where that, if you've got talent, if you've got that home court advantage, I I think getting that 11, 12 type wins is not out of the realm of possibility for them. It it is a really balanced league and we're going to get into that. Um, The one team that is kind of the outlier then, I guess is probably those, uh, those Kansas Jayhawks. And, you know, we're not Travis, we're not going to talk about anything that has to do with Kansas off the court, with Snoop Dogg, with the Adidas logos, with any of that stuff on this podcast uh, for two reasons. One, I am just sick of talking about it. We've talked, I think I've talked about it in like the three of the last four podcasts and I just, I've I've stopped kind of caring about it. Um, It's hilarious. And it's one of the uh, most quintessential college basketball stories that you can find, but I'm just kind of, uh, I'm kind of done with it personally. And the other thing is like the only reason to mention it at this point, I think, would be to mention it as like a distraction as something hanging over the head of the program. Um, but I do think it's important to note that like for like the last four years, there's always been something hanging over the head of Kansas, right? Whether it's uh, this, the, the FBI investigation or Silvio D'Souza or Billy Preston or 
Josh Jackson or whatever he has going on, like off the court. Remember the whole thing with like kicking out some girls' taillight or with mm-hmm. Gerald Vick and whether or not he's actually going to come back to the program and when Cliff Alexander, Cliff Alexander like there's, had a deal. There's yeah. always something going on uh, with Kansas that that I don't want to say overshadows um, the basketball, but there's always something in the background happening with that program. So I just don't see how like anything's going to be a distraction for him at this point. So I've managed to distract myself talking about the distractions that Kansas has. So I think that this team is loaded. I think that they are a clear cut locked in consensus. You're drunk. If you don't rank them in the top three, uh, personally, I have the number two. And I think that there is a valid argument to make that they are, that they should be the preseason number one team in the country. I love Devin Dotson, right? I think that what he can do with the point um, and what he's going to end up doing as a sophomore uh, is the kind of thing that is going to be very, very good and not very many teams are going to be able to match kind of that production and that talent level at the point. I love O'Shea Baji. I think that he is a guy that could end up being like one of the breakout stars in all of college basketball. I think he's a guy that is a potential uh, first round pick um, at some point whenever he decides to, whenever he makes it to the, or decides to declare and kind of grows into uh, his talent level. If, if that makes sense. I think that getting Isaiah Moss, the, the transfer from Iowa, uh, by way of Arkansas. I think getting him really, really helps because he's going to be able to provide them some shooting on the perimeter and some floor spacing. Uh, I think Marcus Garrett is good enough to do a job. I think when there are two guys on the floor that are going to be able to um, to shoot around him, I think that he is someone that becomes a lot more effective because he's, you know, if you kind of slide him in at the as a small ball four, I think he's the kind of guy that's going to be able to guard up. Um, if that makes sense. And I think that that's very relevant for them this year, and I'll get to that in a little bit. I really like the freshmen they got coming in, and Tristan uh, and Aruna and Jalen Wilson. Jalen Wilson specifically, I think, is another guy that kind of uh, checks all the boxes as a potential small ball four. Um, and then, obviously, they have Yudoka Azabuki coming back and uh, and Silvio D'Souza and David McCormick, and they're going to have plenty of size in size and size up front. I think Yudoka Azabuki – while his skill set is a little bit um, old school, I guess, and a little bit throwback, I think he might be the absolute best in the country at what he does, uh, which is score the ball in the paint. And I think that Bill Self is very, very, very good at finding a way to um, make the things that he does, like to, to, to put Yudoka Azubuki in positions where he can succeed. Um, the big question that I have with this group is at the four. And I've kind of hinted at that and I've kind of um, talked about it a little bit. But if you look at like the best teams that Kansas has had, they've either had somebody like a, uh, like a, like one of the Morris twins playing the four or a Perry Ellis or a Dedrick Lawson or a Julian Wright, like these big six foot eight power forwards that can kind of go out and play on the perimeter a little bit that are really, really good uh, playing kind of, uh, like 15 feet away from the rim in a high post situation like that. Um, even when it was 2017, when they had Josh Jackson there, I think that Josh Jackson was uh, kind of fit that mold a little bit too. A very, very good um, defender that can rebound the ball. That's that's strong. And that was able to play up and could the part of the reason they were as successful as they were with him is that he was able to guard the four spot. And I don't know 
what they're going to do there this year. I, I think, you know, I'm not convinced that Oshai Agbaji is going to be the guy that can play there. I think in theory it can be Marcus Garrett, but they kind of struggled with him in that role last season just because he cannot shoot. Uh, I think that's part of the reason why having Isaiah Moss there and taking over for um, basically what I guess would be probably Quentin Grimes' role I think is going to be so significant because it will add a little bit more shooting uh, on the perimeter and, and make the fact that Marcus Garrett is somebody that you can just completely ignore um, on the perimeter. It'll make that a little bit less of a thing. Uh, and I do think that there are going to be times where we see Bill Self rolling out uh, Yudoka Azubuki and Silvio D'Souza and just going with the Twin Towers up front. Um, but beyond that, you know, I I do like – and and from what I've heard, like Jalen Wilson has been uh, pretty impressive. I think that there's a chance that he could end up embracing that role. I don't know um, if I fully trust a freshman in there. And I also think that Mitch Lightfoot is another guy that that probably has uh, the skills to be able to do that a little bit in stretches. But I just I don't know if I want Mitch Lightfoot playing 25 minutes a game on a team that we're talking about as like a uh, preseason top three team. So to me, that's the big, big, big question mark is what is – uh, what is Bill Self going to end up doing at the four? And honestly, like, I don't really know. I don't know if I know what I think the best option is, but I do believe that Bill Self is going to find a way to make it all work, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I think we've seen him change the way that he's played through, you know, either by a roster or just even within the midst of the season multiple times in the last maybe four, five, six years. So I, I have very little doubt that they'll figure out what they're going to do. I mean, if assuming as a bouquet stays healthy, you know, I'm with you that this is <clears throat> easily a top three team in the country. Um, I, my guess right now would be DeSouza plays a lot at the four um, because if, you know, I think if you look back to the teams they had, you know, earlier this decade, I don't think that they, they were much more comfortable. Like I'm thinking back to the Jeff Withy teams uh, that I think they were comfortable playing high, low, big guys that without maybe that shooting and that playmaking at the four spot uh, that we've seen in the last few years. So I, I think they have that in them or that self has that in him to, to go back to. Um, so that, that's my guess on how they play, but it will be interesting to see like even Isaiah Moss, can he go down and play the four a little bit at six foot five? I, I mean, I think if, if he's there, then it probably means you have Oshayag Baji on the floor. And I think I would trust Oshayag Baji there a little bit more, but like, I don't think either of those apps, uh, those options are necessarily ideal uh, when we're talking about guarding teams that are going to be playing with guys that are a little bit bigger. But like when you have um, like a an Aaron Henry uh, at Michigan State, right? Like he's kind of in that same situation where you got to ask him to play um, a little bit of a small ball four role. Um, then that is a guy like I think that you could probably have some of these bigger wings match up with. So I don't necessarily think it's – uh, it's like it's not all doom and gloom. That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm, what I'm trying to say sure. is there's very easy things that we can like project out and figure out. Like we all know Yudoka Azubuki is going to start at the five. We all know that Devin Dotson is going to start at the one. I don't think anyone can uh, at this point really project what Kansas is going to do at the four. But I just like as you mentioned, I just trust Bill Self to figure it out, which is why I didn't even get to my bold prediction. I forgot to do it. But uh, my bold prediction is that um, they're going to end up making it to the final four. Uh, and they're going to be playing for the national title. And it's going to be uh, my favorite thing in the world to watch them make this run while they have all this NCAA stuff hanging over their head. Can you imagine those final four press conferences? <laughs> <laughs> like, 
That's all right. Like when I know we're not supposed to talk about Snoop Dogg, but I'm going to talk about Snoop Dogg. I was so jealous of all those Kansas guys because, like, whatever happens the rest of the year, like whether Kansas is awesome or whether they're terrible and it all falls apart, like they've already got the lead to all their stories at the end of the year. Like it, you you're just clearly writing about Snoop Dogg, the stripper pulls in the the money gun. Yes, and whatever happens, yeah. like and, and those, like how many stories are going to start with that if they make it to the final four in Atlanta? Like that's going to be the the start of everyone's story. It's going to be beautiful. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, like I said uh, the other day, it's going to be so great for content. <laughs> what we're going to get out of this is going to be so great. And it's so much fun. And um, I, I just, I hate the fact that like we, I just hate the fact that there are people in jail because of it. And it's so stupid, but I guess we just kind of have to laugh through it. Right. Laugh it off. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that, I think that is where, and I think you wrote it, like, that's where it stops being funny. Like, the where Kansas has, per, you know, in the entire deal has made itself out to be the victim. And then you see what they did and then tried to play the victim again. Like, poor them. They got duped by Snoop Dogg being Snoop Dogg. <laughs> can I, um, can I just ask you this? Like, do you buy this whole thing that Bill Self is selling where he's saying that, like, oh, I, I had no idea that I was wearing, a shirt with a massive Adidas logo that had no uh, Kansas branding on it at all. Um, and I was just, I was uh, just innocent. It was completely a coincidence that I would wear this massive Adidas shirt with a huge gold chain while I was going through all of this. Like, are you buying his, his explanation for that? Absolutely not. But like, let's say for a second you do buy it. This is like one of those classic examples of either you were just being a complete like thumbing your nose at the NCAA or you were being completely stupid and naive to not know what you were doing would be perceived that way. Like either way you look bad or I mean, I guess bad is subjective. Like you either you did it on purpose or you were so, I don't know, arrogant, naive to think that people wouldn't view it like that, that I don't know that either is a defense. I mean, actually I know neither is a defense. But no, I, Bill Stuff knew exactly what he was doing with that Adidas shirt. How could you not? Like, you're not wearing – like, those guys wake up in the morning wearing Kansas polos. Like, all coaches – when was the last time you saw a coach not wearing, like, a branded piece of clothing other than when they're in their suits on the game day? Like, those, those dudes are always wearing branded clothing. Like, they know exactly what was going on there. Yeah, I, I'm 90% sure that coaches, the only thing that they own – are, uh, are are like the the free the gear, gear <laughs> the free gear that they get um, that have their team logos on them and that they have to change over every time they get new jobs or the suits that they get from whoever is like sponsoring them right like so exactly. whoever in town like they they go get those free suits so I don't think that coaches pay for any of the clothes that they have and they always has always have something with a team logo on it unless it's a suit. And Bill Self wasn't wearing a suit and wasn't wearing something with the team logo. So that is the first hint right there that something is up. But look, I said we weren't going to talk about Kansas. <laughs> we're not. Too, we're done. It's too juicy. We're not you. Oh, yeah, we just had to, we had to we had to get the Snoop Dog in there. It's too good. It's just too good. <laughs> you pay for Snoop, you're gonna get Snoop. Man, it's one of the rules to live by, I think. <laughs> look, the man's got a point. <laughs> The man has got a point. All right, let's keep it moving. Talk to me about Kansas State. The uh, the reigning Big 12 co-champions, Kansas How State. How about that? Yeah. Help, help take down the 14-year streak of Kansas. It's kind of a – it was the end of an era there in Kansas State a little bit with Barry Brown, Kamau Stokes, and Dean Wade on their way out after leading them to the aforementioned Big 12 title last year, the Elite Eight the year before. Um 
So it feels like Barry Brown's been there since Jacob Pullen was there. Like, didn't they I, share I, a backcourt? He was. He, they, they started together at some point, right? I think so. I think he, uh, Jacob Pullen, maybe didn't even have a beard at that point. It was so long ago. <laughs> but so yeah, kind of a, a new beginning for Kansas State. <laughs> Michael Beasy hosted uh, Bryce Brown on his recruiting visit. And they had Skittles. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Okay, talk about uh talk about Bruce Weber and Kansas State, reigning co-champions yeah. of the Big 12. So they lose those that those trio of guys that have as Rob noted have been there forever. Um but they still have some guys back that make them interesting. Uh Xavier Sneed, kind of a sneaky NBA prospect who I think is probably underrated just because of the guys he played with last year and the style in which Kansas State plays. Uh McCole Mayween, solid big Carter Jada was having a really nice year last year before injuries kind of derailed it, but uh, an electric uh, athletic guard, uh, Mike McGurl, uh, nice role player for them. So th- those are four guys that I think make them have a solid nucleus. And then they welcome in a guy that uh, the Chicago Sun-Times had as the best player in the city last year in Dewan Gordon, um, a guard that could see immediate playing time, maybe even as a starting position. Um, To me, when you look at this Kansas State team, there's two questions that are pretty fundamental. With the turnover, are they going to be able to play defense at the level that really facilitated their success the last two years? You know, they play slow offensively and they grind, grind, grind defensively. Top five in Ken Palm last year with the new guys, with people in new positions. Are they going to be able to play defense at anything close to that level? And then on the other end, like they've got a lot of scoring to replace. And Brown, Stokes, and Wade did a bulk of their scoring last year, and they still were not a great offensive team last year. They really struggled to score the ball at times. I mean, it was one of those teams that no matter how good they were, they were always kind of a chore to watch because they play so slowly and they grind it out offensively. Like, Is there anybody on this roster that can step in and really pick up the scoring slack there? I think Snead is obviously the the biggest candidate for that which leads me to my bold prediction. I think Xavier Sneed's going to be a first-team All-Big 12 player, but Kansas State not going to have enough, in my opinion, to get back to the NCAA tournament. They are out on Selection Sunday. That's my uh, dual bold prediction. I don't I don't hate it. Um, like I, I loved Kansas State last year. I think we were both like really all in on them heading into the season, uh, and losing those three guys is just such a brutal blow. Well, and for Wade never to really be able to be healthy for them well, in the NCAA tournament the last two years is just a bummer because he was really the heart and soul of those teams. I was also trying to figure out how to phrase I, – I think that they're going to be able to rely on their on their best players this year, and they're not going to have that kind of, well, is Dean going to show up today? Is he going to be ready to play today? Is he going to be healthy enough to play today? Um, without having that hanging over their head probably is going to be something that – kind of helps like some of the consistency but like here's the thing about Kansas State right I I feel like they really weren't all that deep last season I feel like they probably when they were playing in their biggest games it was like what like a seven-man rotation at most and then they lose the three highest usage guys out of that rotation And, and I think it's more than just like not having anyone um to score it's like you don't have anyone to create and that was the thing that really like dragged them down towards the end of last season is like they would get into these situations where 
when Dean Wade didn't play, their offense was basically like, okay, uh, let's let Barry Brown go try to figure out how to do something, and he's going to settle for a 17-foot pull-up off the dribble, which is like really not the most efficient way to play basketball. And now you don't even have that. So um, I do think that Cartier Jara is the guy, because he's kind of like that, was their like secondary playmaker a little bit last year. And then whether or not like Michael Goro can, can step up, he's the guy that I think, they kind of need more because I think we know what Xavier Sneed is, and I think he's really good in the role that he plays. And I think that there's a chance in that role he could end up playing in the NBA. But like, I don't think he's a guy you want taking the most shots on your team, right? Um, I think that you like, like he's the he, you want him to be like your three and D guy that spaces the floor and that you have like taking tough threes at the end of a shot clock that off someone else kicking it out to him if that makes sense. So I'm I, I like Bruce Pearl. I've been on the bandwagon with a friend of the pod, CJ Moore of the Athletic. How about Bruce Weber? Bruce, I like Bruce Weber too. I've been on the on, okay. on his bandwagon as well. Um, who friend of the pod, CJ Moore, like has always said, is a much better coach than he gets credit for, and I kind of agree with that. Uh, I just think that this is a year, like I I, I want to be in on him. I just can't do it, man. I just can't do it. So I'm with you. Out. The yeah, they're just not going to be talented enough. I don't think. To, to make it happen. All right, let's keep it moving. Uh, TCU is next. And, um, you know, I, I do think that TCU is a program that has been trending in the right direction. I think that they are the program that kind of has like the hype in the Dallas Fort Worth area now that SMU uh, has kind of taken their step back. Um, but I do think this, I don't know if like rebuilding year is necessarily the right way to phrase it, but I do think that this is going to be a little bit of a, of a blip season where we see TCU being more of the TCU that we knew before Jamie Dixon got there than kind of what they've been uh, the last couple of years as a team that's like in and around the NCAA tournament bubble. Um, they lose, what is it, like four of their top five players, five of their top seven and six of their top nine. Alex Robinson is gone. Uh, Koat Noy, I believe. I don't know if he – did he end up going to the NBA or was did he just transfer? Yeah, he went yeah, pro. pro. Jalen Fisher, of course, like ended up leaving – in the middle of the season. I don't even know if that counts as, as someone they lose by the end of the year. Cause he just wasn't there. Like there's a lot of, a lot of shots and a lot of points that are going to be gone uh, this off season. The good news is that they do get Desmond Bain back for his senior year. And uh, not only is Desmond Bain, like one of the more underrated players, I think in the big 12, he's one of the more jacked players I think I've ever seen in college basketball. Like guys <laughs> with muscles that big, aren't supposed to be able to shoot. And he's out here shooting like 44% from three. Um, so you got to give him credit for that. This uh, the 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 Jair Greer transfer from uh, George Mason was he was he was fine when he was in the Atlantic Ten. I saw him a little bit when he played at Mason, um, and he isn't he he's Jeff Greer's son. If I'm, I'm I don't believe I'm making Correct. that up. The kid from Iowa State, right? Yep, Jeff Greer, all time leading scorer right. at Iowa State. There you son. go. Um, I think R.J. Nemhard uh, should. I think they're hoping that he'll step up and and be better than he was last season to be able to kind of step into the the point guard role because they also lost Kendrick Davis to a transfer. So it's like they all of it like last year they had three guys they thought could be like really good uh, point guards and all of a sudden like the top three of them are gone. I think that they're bringing in this kid. Oh, Edric Dennis. They're bringing him in. He averaged 14.3 points at, uh, at, at UT Arlington. And I think that that's probably going to help a little bit. Um, and Kevin Samuels back, the big guy inside. There's a lot of turnover here, and I don't know if that's necessarily an ideal thing. Um, 
when you are a team that went 7-11 in the Big 12 last season. Uh, so my bold prediction is that this is, again, going to be a TCU team that does not make the NCAA tournament. And I think that they're going to end up kind of being there um, near the bottom of the conference when this thing all kind of shakes out. Yeah, I, I agree. I think I don't have them last because I think Bain and Samuel are legit. Like they'll win them a couple games that'll keep them out of 10th place. But, you know, I wonder too, like with that turnover and then you didn't even mention Jamie Dixon, like almost was on a flight to LA. This yeah, that's true. That's true. I, I had that job. written down. I completely uh, glossed over it. He was, for people that didn't know, um, he was, uh, I think probably after they got told no by Hoiberg and they got told no by Cal, if I'm remembering the, the timeline correctly, then it was Jamie Dixon who was the next guy in line. And then they couldn't end up agreeing to like the buyout, right? Wasn't it something? Yeah, it was the buyout for him and Rick Barnes were both, that was the stumbling block in both cases because they both have big buyouts. Yeah, but uh, I believe Dixon's was $8 million and I feel like, and they couldn't find a way to come up with the eight million dollars. UCLA couldn't find to come up, couldn't find a way to come up with it. And I think that it was ended up being like they wanted Dixon to pay half of it, which you know <laughs> I probably would say four million dollars to to I got to pay four million dollars to go take a new job. I don't think that I would uh, be very interested in doing that. So um, I don't blame Jamie Dixon, and he didn't end up going to take the UCLA job. Of course, McCronin is there, uh, but anyways, continue with your point. Yeah, so I mean, I I wonder what effect that has on a program where a coach I mean he, Dixon he's from Southern California but he's a TCU alum like really TCU has poured a ton of money into their program in the last three or four years and then he's kind of the cornerstone of doing that so I wonder how the administration and that locker room felt about that flirtation about and then even on the recruiting trail so that obviously we won't see that this year but I wonder you know Rob you mentioned about them being the trendy team in the Metroplex and and I wonder if that kind of hit a uh, a pothole this spring and because I don't think they're going to be very good this year. I wonder how much momentum they're going to have going forward because they, I think they had a lot and it hasn't totally translated into a ton of success well, yet. So the only thing I'll say is this. Um, you said how does, uh, how does a coach flirting with another job affect um, the program that he was staying at? And I'll say this, there were five guys that transferred out of the TCU program this off season. Uh, and if you, that, that's, if you don't count Coat Noy, who ended up going pro and not getting drafted. So I think that kind of, um, if you're looking for something to kind of sum it all up, I think that kind of sums it all up. All right. And you know what? I just realized I did, I went to TCU and I skipped over Oklahoma and Oklahoma state. So, uh, Travis, why don't you do Oklahoma state? Yeah, it was kind of a total and complete disaster in Stillwater last year. They went 12 and 20, 5 and 13 in the Big 12 uh, at various points throughout the year. Mike Boynton kicked four dudes off the team, including Mike Michael Weathers, who was maybe their first or second best player um, at the time. Uh, so, yeah, just total bottom fell out for Oklahoma State, which is not even to mention that their, you know, tangential involvement with the FBI corruption investigation um, from Brad Underwood's tenure there. So just just a bad year for Oklahoma State. But the good news for Oklahoma State is that they didn't lose any starters off that team. They're all back. And I think that there's some talent here. You're talking about Lindy, Lindy Waters, who I think is one of the most underrated players in the Big 12 uh, because he's been – on a bad team and he's battled some injuries. 
uh, that I don't think we've seen him at his full potential. Your Ane is maybe one of the best shot blockers in the country. Then you've got uh, Isaac Likely, who people were raving about playing for the U19 Team USA team in Greece this past summer. Um, then you've got Thomas Dijwaga and Cameron McGriff, the crime dog, all back. Then you've got a top 25 recruiting class coming in. No big studs, no top 25 players, uh, but a lot of four stars, a lot of top 150 guys in that group. Plus, Jonathan Laurent, a UMass grad transfer who started his career at Rutgers, averaged 10 points a game last year, shot 40, almost 47% from three-point range, adding to a team that already shoots the three pretty well. I really like this Oklahoma State team. I've seen them, you know, in the being picked near the bottom of the league uh, by a lot of people in this preseason, and, and I disagree. I think this is the surprise team of the Big 12. I think they finish in the upper half of the league and make the NCAA tournament. That's my bold prediction. I believe in their talent, and I think Mike Boynton showed that he's a – a capable, if not good, coach in his first year there at Oklahoma State where they narrowly missed the NCAA tournament. Obviously, last year, I think there was just so much junk around the team that it made last year probably just not navigable by a coach. So I'm I'm a buyer in the Cowboys this year. Yeah, I'm a buyer in them as well. Um, I think that with Lindy Waters and Thomas DeJuaga, is it, did I say it right? That's how I said it, so let's say yes. Yeah, so that you have two of like the best shooters in the league. I think that um, if Isaac Likely, I have no idea how to say that name. Likely, if Isaac Likely ends up kind of coming into that uh, that point guard role, and kind of, uh, I want him to be. I think if they're going to end up being a team that finishes with like ten or eleven wins in the Big Twelve, then Likely is probably got to be something close, at least in the conversation for being an all. Big 12 point guard. And I think that's certainly in the range of outcomes for him. I th- think it's certainly something that's possible. Um, and like, if they get there, then this is definitely going to be a team that ends up being a, a, a tournament team for me. And, and the other part of it is like, there's so much fun to watch just because like the way that Mike Boynton coaches is he's very, uh, he's very, let it fly. He's very, um, he doesn't worry too much about shot selection. Let's just put it like that. And I, I enjoy watching teams like that. They're, uh, they're fun. And like, it's it'd be interesting if they're good too to see because people around the Big Twelve just rave about Gallagher Iba Arena being one of the best venues in the country, not just the league, and that place is a mausoleum now. Like just nobody comes to games, um, so it'd be interesting to see if they're good if they can resurrect that uh, home court advantage, which you know is so important in the Big Twelve. Um, and if they're playing a fun style and if they're winning some games, you wonder if that uh, maybe pulls people away from the Thunder, who are now probably going to be pretty bad, uh, about two hours away in Oklahoma City, to, to come up and watch some basketball in Stillwater and, and make that place a little bit tougher to play in. Yeah, man, it's, it's kind of sad in there now. Like, nobody nobody shows up. Eddie Sutton night a few years ago, like, they were honoring Eddie Sutton, their legendary coach, and it was like a third full. Like, damn, people, come on now. Yeah, you got to give up. Eddie Sutton his props. Um, All right, let's keep it moving. I'm going to talk a little bit about Oklahoma. Uh, So the Sooners are a team that I really just like, I don't have any idea what to make of them at this point. Like they lose a lot. Christian James is gone. Aaron Calixti is gone. Rashard Odoms is gone. Jemani McNeese is gone. Um, They only get like three of their top nine back, and they have a whole shitload of newcomers coming in. And that's not always the best thing. Um, But Brady Manick is back, and I think he is kind of like your – 
quintessential college four, uh, you know, six foot nine, makes a bunch of threes, um, feels like he should do more than he does, has a great like Larry Bird shag with the with the mustache, the blonde mustache going on. So um, I, I feel like I'm contractually obligated to uh, to say nice things about him. So I just said nice things about him. Uh, Christian Doolittle is another guy that they have coming back. And I think that like, combined, that is the start of a pretty good core for a team. I just, beyond that, I'm very, very curious to see how everything else kind of comes together. I, I think Jamal Biennemi is the kind of guy that could end up being a pretty good player in the Big 12. Uh, I think he'll do well with more minutes. I'm not 100% convinced that he's going to end up being good enough to be a guy that you want starting on a Big 12 tournament team. I think that Austin Reeves, the, the Wichita State transfer, getting eligible is certainly going to help. Um, but again, like he is – like, do you is it necessarily the best situation when he's, what, maybe the third best player on your roster? I think that they got this kid, Devian Hardman, coming in, who's a top 50 recruit and a four-star kid. Uh, but this is like one of those teams – where you can kind of look through some of the pieces that they have um, and some of the newcomers they have coming in and say, like, a lot of these guys are fine, right? Um, and then you have a coach in Lon Kruger that has a habit of kind of getting the most out of people and getting the most out of his players and finding a way to make things work and uh, winning even if this team is fine. But, you know, there's just, like, a lack of star power on this roster, and there's a lack of uh, things that are going to make opposing coaches – concerned about how that like if you're an opposing coach who are you worried about stopping on this Oklahoma roster I don't know if there are very many guys so I think that they're just going to end up being like thoroughly middle, middle of the road again and you know last year they were lucky enough to make the tournament even though they were 7-11 in the Big 12 uh, I don't necessarily think their record is going to be all that much better I don't think they're going to be all that improved as a team but I, I mean they could end up being a tournament team again because if you can get to 7-11 in the Big 12 then you have a chance to get into the tournament. And I can see them being a very, very middle of the road, seven and 11 big 12 team again. So your uh, bold prediction is that you could see them being mediocre. My bold predict. Yeah. The, my bold prediction is like, they're just whatever. Sorry that, that the hot take is like just blazing through my microphone. Now I got to take a second here to cool down. Be careful. I don't want you to burn your ears on these headphones. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've been kind of disappointed in Brady Manick's career. Like, I thought he was going to be much more dynamic player after seeing him early on in his career playing along with Trey Young. And, and I don't think we've seen that. And I kind of hope we do see it this year because I do think like he's got a skill set. He's got some athleticism where I, I would like to see him be an all-league type player. And I don't know that we've seen that in his first two years. And you know, I wonder too, like when you look at the roster, like how much of this is – all ripples back to Trey Young because I don't think they expected him to be a one and done. And I wonder, obviously they always had to take Trey Young, super talented McDonald's all American who went to Norman North high school. But like, I don't know how many other guys wanted to play with Trey Young in that recruiting class. And now I think we're seeing it two years later. There's just not that high level talent that I think you need in the big 12 to really compete at a super high level. And in a level, frankly, that Oklahoma should be competing at when you look at, the resources that they have, the head coach that they have, who I think is one of the best in the country that doesn't get credit for how good he is and being, you know, so close to Texas and Dallas with all that talent there that, that, that they sh- this should have, they should have more 
better players than they do, in my opinion, right now. And maybe Brady Manick turns into that this year, but I, I just don't think we've seen it uh, in his first two seasons the way I would have guessed we might have. Yeah, I just I'm not convinced that he is a guy like he he's one of those guys that I think just was made so much better by being on the floor with Trey Young because he's the I mean he's the floor spacer right he's the guy that just kind of pick and pops and he's the other big guy who is going to stand in the corner and his man's going to tag and Trey Young is going to make that pass to find him wide, wide open by himself in the corner because someone's helping off of him so um, I think that he is the perfect example of why. Trey Young is as good as he is offensively, if that makes sense. Just the, his ability to make people around him more effective that may not actually be all that effective, if that makes sense. So that's not to say he's not a good player. Like, I think he's fine. I just think he's kind of capped at this, like, uh, this Big 12 role player. Like, he's the third best player on a good Big 12 team, is what you're, is what yes, you're saying. Yes, like, he should, like, in an ideal world, he is playing a role on a roster where he just has to space the floor and be six foot 10 and be able to make threes and have the gravity that comes with pulling defenders out of the paint when he does that. And I don't think you want him being the guy where you're like, okay, we're going to need you to be an all big 12 player. Cause I just don't think that he is at that level. Does that make sense? Yeah. And if I don't, if he's not at that level, then I don't think they can make the tournament this yeah, year. Yeah, It's, it's, it's going to be tough, but Hey, you know, seven and 11 gets done. And uh, I think that, I think that Lon Kruger combined with the pieces that they have might be able to get you to 7-11 in that league. But let's keep it moving, Travis. Talk to me about Shaka Smart and the Texas Longhorns. The uh, reigning National Invitational Tournament champions, Texas Longhorns, who I think are going to be one of the more interesting teams in the Big 12, at least uh, maybe not the best, certainly not the best team, but I do think that the narrative around them is going to be just really fascinating this year with Shaka Smart. Um, they lose a lot from last year. Kerwin Roach is gone. Elijah Mitru Long's gone. Dylan Asikowski, who had been really good for them the last two years, is gone. Jackson Hayes was the eighth pick in the NBA draft in June. But they got a lot coming back despite those losses. Matt Coleman's back. Courtney Ramey's back. Jericho Sims is back. Jace Febres is back. Kamaka Hepa is back. So they've got a lot of dudes back. Will Baker's a four-star recruit from Austin that people are really high on. They, so they've got a lot of guys back. The one we, it seems like they're pretty optimistic is going to be back is Andrew Jones, who's obviously missed the last year and a half as he's battled leukemia. Uh, Shaka Smart said last month that it's full steam ahead and they expect him to be back, which is obviously just awesome news for Jones, Texas, and you know everybody that pays attention to college basketball. But I think when you look at Texas, when you look at this roster, they've got some interesting pieces. They've got some good players, but like, is that where their their ceiling is? I feel like they've just got a lot of good pieces. They've got no great pieces, just like Texas has had no great teams under Shaka Smart. I think you can make an argument that this is going to be his least talented team that he's had there. There's no lottery pick on this team. There's no Jared Allen. There's no um, – who am I forgetting the Mo other big Bamba, guy? Jackson Orlando. Hayes, James Mo Bamba. Yeah. I mean, so like you can make an argument that this is going to be his least talented team. And I think that obviously there's been discussion about Shaka Smart's job security and the job he's done in Austin over the last few years. But – I don't think it's fully appreciated how little they've really accomplished there with, again, you know, they're basically what I said about Oklahoma, but 
twice as much because they have so much money. They have such a great recruiting base. They have such a brand that for them to not have an NCAA tournament win, for them to be last in the Big 12 two years ago, um, I think has got to be so disappointing for people that care about Texas basketball, which I acknowledge is not that huge of group of people. Um, they certainly couldn't fit in the football stadium there in Austin. Um, but I think it's going to be tough for Texas. Like this is going to be like, they're going to be fine, I think, but they're not going to be great. And I I think that's got to be what that program strives to do with the resources that are devoted to it. So my, uh, my bold prediction is that Texas is an NCAA tournament team. They're going to finish fifth in the league, but, or fifth or sixth in the league, but they're going to be in the first four. And then I think does Shaka smart, start looking really hard at the exits. I don't think he'd get fired for that, but do you see the writing on the wall and do you look for the next job uh, before this one gets you? Because it just doesn't seem that they've been able to harness any type of momentum or sustain success there, um, despite having three lottery picks in four years. So, I mean, I have a whole bunch of thoughts on this, and I think that the the shock of Texas situation is, um, I think, the, the, the most fascinating thing about this character. The, the the coaching carousel that's going to be coming up, and I think it's going to kind of, like kind of be the tipping point to make things really move and, and really turn because there's going to be a lot of coaches that are going to be very interested in uh, that Texas job if it ends up um, coming open. But there are a couple things. One, um, I've I've spoken with Shaka about Andrew Jones, and like I want him to come back and I want him to be great, but I want to uh, also have it on the record that like please temper your expectations. This is a kid that went out and literally beat leukemia and really hasn't played basketball and uh, for what, two years now. Um, and after uh, with what the radiation and the, the treatment to beat cancer will do to your body, like just have, have low expectations for him and be pleasantly surprised when he uh, outperforms them. Um, I think that it's, it's not easy to do what he's trying to do. Uh, the other thing is, um, while you're 100% correct that like Shaka has not been able to get it to get it done with the talent that they had, I think part of the problem is um, he's had a little bit of like bad injury luck. He's had some bad luck in terms of guys going pro that he didn't necessarily expect, like Isaiah Taylor going pro his first year. Like uh, I think both Mo, um, Jared Allen and Jackson Hayes, they were not expecting them to be one and done when they brought them into the program, um, and. You know, I, I think it's also fair to point out that uh, he has like a, a contract that's fully guaranteed. If he ends up getting fired at the end of the year, that's $10 million that Texas is going to be on the hook for. Um, and if you kind of read the tea leaves and expect them to go after that guy down in Lubbock, then you're going to have to pay another $6 million to buy him out of the contract that he just signed on top of paying uh, someone like Chris Beard more than I think, I believe his contract is like four and a half million now a year. So that's a lot of money. If they're going to fire Shaka Smart, they got to spend a lot of money to go out and hire um, uh, to go out and hire the guy that they probably want, a guy that they might be able to get, and you know, a guy where they're not making uh, a decision that's not the ideal one for him, the perfect fit. And like, frankly, I think that Chris Beard would be the absolute perfect fit. Um, at Texas as a basketball coach. So my thing on Shaka, you know, I, I did a whole podcast on this last year, uh, but my thing on Shaka is that 
I think that he's at his best where he can get guys in a program that are going to stay in the program and can develop in the program and they can build a culture the way that they were able to do it at, at VCU. Um, the way that Jay Wright's able to do it at Villanova. Uh, the way that Mike Bray's been able to do it at Notre Dame. I think that he needs to be in a situation like that where he's not necessarily – getting players that are going to end up leaving after a year, he needs them to to build them up, to get them into the shape that he needs to get them into, uh, to be able to play defense the way that he wants to play defense, to be able to buy into the, the idea of um, playing as hard as they do. So I just don't know if being at a school that, that turns out one and done and re- recruiting the players that he needs to recruit to be at the University of Texas is necessarily the best fit for him. Um, let's say he leaves and goes and takes something like, oh, I don't know, like a, a Wake Forest where you can kind of get like that second level guy in North Carolina and that second level guy in the Mid-Atlantic. And, you know, maybe if like a Jerome Robinson and a Kai Bowman, instead of going to Boston College for three years, those guys are going to Wake Forest for three years. Then all of a sudden we're talking about um, Shaka having the kind of the better success at, than he's had at Texas. So um, that's a long way of saying I, I just don't know if – that program and that coach ended up was always going to be the best fit. Yeah. And I think like to your point too, like, so his buyout is huge at $10 million, but if he were to go take a wake Forest, like they're going to pay him 3 million a year, they'll give him a $6 million contract. That's 18 million guaranteed right there. Like he'll, he's not going to lose money on the deal. Like I don't think Texas fires him unless this is a total catastrophe of a year. But once he gets to the end of the year, if they're a bubble team, if obviously the heat is on and he shares your insight in that maybe this is not the best fit for him, like I think it makes a ton of sense for him to look for the exits ahead of um, getting fired potentially the next year because he can he can be whole money wise even if he takes a pay cut at a Wake Forest or you know name your other program. Like he's still, despite not having a ton of success at Texas, he's still a name. He's still going to easily command two and a half, three million a year and a six year deal um, where like, I just don't think he'll be leaving money on the table. And then if he leaves without getting fired, that obviously really clears the decks for Texas to go out and spend a ton of money where the $6 million buyout and a four and a half or $5 million contract for Chris Beard is, is doable for, I think it's them in Ohio state as the richest um, athletic departments in the country. So like money for them is not, what money is for the the rest of the programs and athletic departments around the rest of the country. Yeah. I mean, the thing is like, do you want to do all that? Like, to, to your point, if he leaves and I think it's a different conversation because that $10 million that you would spend on the buyout pays for the first two years of Chris Beer's contract or whoever you end up hiring. Right. Um, so that, that, but if to defend like them not firing him, like you're not going to go out and spend, I, I guess, what would it be total 10 million plus a 16 million plus, uh, eight years at $5 million or whatever it would end up being. Like we're talking about probably investing like $60 million total in a basketball coach at the university of Texas. And I just don't, I don't know if the, yeah, that, that, that athletic department is made of money. Like you literally walk into the Irwin center and you look at the walls and it is just bricks of dollar bills. Like you walking into um, like walking into the, the, the house of a Mexican drug Lord or something like that. That's literally, it's literally made of money. Um, <laughs> that was too far. Away. Okay, <laughs> literally made of money. Uh, but um, 
But I don't know if they want to. That that's still sixty million dollars is sixty million dollars, and I just don't know. Caveat to the uh, the Irwin Center being made of money, they are building a brand new arena for them too. That's the other thing, like which I imagine will generate more revenue, and obviously they want to go into that uh, riding a wave of momentum. I would think. Yeah, they definitely do, um, and that's part of the reason. Whether or not that building is made of money, I don't know. I can't confirm that. I don't think I've seen the blueprints. No, yet. they started knocking down the walls of the Irwin Center to get the bricks out of it. Okay. <laughs> All right, let's keep it moving uh, and talk about. Te- I don't remember what point I was trying to make when I was talking about the made of money thing. Uh, it's just going to be really damn expensive if they want to fire Shaka Smart and go hire Chris Beard. But I don't think that, like, again, I think it would have to be a total disaster of a season for them to fire Shaka Smart. I think it's way more likely it's a middling season. the The end is very clear for him, and he decides, you know, to hell with this. I'm going to go on. And like, by the way, like, can you make an argument that Texas is the best job in the country? Great, great recruiting base, great money, and zero pressure to really, truly perform at a super high level. I don't think that you can make the argument it's the best job in the country because I think there are very clearly four jobs that are better than it. Uh, But I do think that you can make the argument, and I've made the argument before, that it is um, at the very worst a top 10 job in the country. And there are coaches that will tell you it's the it's the best non-Duke, North Carolina, Kentucky, Kansas job in college basketball. Yeah, there are actual expectations to go to Final Fours and win national titles at those places, though. So I, I think like if your if your goal is to make money and coach basketball at a high level for a long time, I think you could make the argument that Texas facilitates that better than those places because those places actually expect you to win a lot which I don't think is the case at Texas as we've seen in Shaka Smart's tenure. And and even, you know, Rick Barnes only went to one final four in 18 years. I think he was there, made the tournament every year, but one, but uh, just different level of expectations there. But obviously like there are better programs than Texas. Yeah, well, and, and the thing is, and the, all I would say is like, that's not the way that, that coaches are going to think about it. The way that coaches are going to think about it is if I get to Kentucky, not only will I make like $7 million a year, but that's when I can go out and win a national title. And I won't be stuck coaching at uh, whatever place that I'm at where I can't win the national title. That's the way that they're going to think about it. So that's, that's just the only point that I would make. All right. Anyway, uh, let's move on. Texas tech. um, Like I said, I'm very, very high on them uh, because Chris Beard flips rosters like the property brothers flip houses. Um, And that's going to be no, different this season, even though they're losing Jarrett Culver to the NBA. Matt Mooney, who ended up, I think he made the the roster with the Memphis Grizzlies. Tariq Owens, who I thought had a chance to play in the NBA. Brandon Francis ended up starting for him. Lorenzo Odiasi uh, was a, what was he? I think it was a four-year player and basically more or less started like the last two and a half years. Um, and Deshaun Corpru, who ended up, he didn't graduate. He just got run out of the program because he was uh, uh I think it was officially a violation of team rules, but I think it was that – didn't he have a sexual assault hanging over his head? Am I, remember? I don't know. I think I'm remembering that correctly. Whatever it was, uh, he got kicked out of the program. Um, but I still have this group as a top 15 team in college basketball, even with all of that gone. And um, the biggest reason for it is the freshman they got coming in, Jamius Ramsey. Uh, he is, I believe, like a top 30 guy. He's not a five-star guy. He's more like a high four-star. But I just think he's going to fit this Texas Tech program, this Texas Tech brand so, 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 so well. He's tough. He's going to play really, really hard. Um, I think he's going to be able to kind of step into the role that Jarrett Culver and Keenan Evans had the last couple of years. I just think that that he is a guy 
that is going to outlive maybe what some of those recruiting rankings were for him uh, coming into the season. I think that Kyler Edwards is a guy as a sophomore that's going to be able to step up and have a big year. I think that Davide Moretti is just so damn smart and so damn solid and such a damn good shooter. Um, he's the kind of guy that like he's going to execute their game plans to perfection. He's going to make the open shots. He's not going to make all that many mistakes um, when they are running their offense. I just think he's such a good player to have uh, on a program and in a team that changes what they do so much over the course of every game and every season. Um, I think they have some solid bigs coming into the program and Chris Clark from uh, the grad transfer from Virginia Tech and uh, TJ Holyfield, another grad transfer from Stevie, Stephen F. Austin. And, you know, I think it's also important to note they didn't end up losing Mark Adams. And, and look, I know uh, that um, – so for people that don't know, Mark Adams is an assistant coach on the staff and is the guy that kind of runs their, uh, their defense. And Texas Tech has had – they were the best defensive team in the country last season. Uh, and the year before that, they, I believe they were top five or top ten. Uh, but whatever the case, like they've been very, very good defensively each of the last two years, and that has a lot to do with Mark Adams, who runs that defense, who scouts that defense, who games plans for that defense. And they did not lose him. He was a guy that was um, in the mix for, I believe it was the Southern Miss job. So getting him back is very, very relevant. And I think that Chris Beard is like smart enough and good enough to function without him. Uh, but I do think that making sure that you get that guy back. It, it, it just, when you have the guy, it was like uh, Luke Yaklich at Michigan and how much that changed things for John Beeline. When you're a head coach and you have a guy on your staff that you can kind of trust to go out and do that job for you and let you focus on other things, then I think that kind of opens everything up. And, and you have to have the trust to be able to delegate. And Chris Beard very, very clearly trusts Mark Adams. Um, so having him around, I think, is very important. Um, and, you know, again – I don't think that it's the pieces or the names that necessarily matter for Texas Tech as much as it's Chris Beard's back. They do have some talent in the program. Mark Adams is back, and they're going to end up being very good. So my bold prediction is very simple. They're going to be a top-10 team on Selection Sunday. You know, I mean, I'm very conflicted about Texas Tech because I believe everything you just said, but can they do it in another year where you have to totally flip the rot? Not totally, but – a major flip of the roster, losing so much talent off that team last year. I'm a, I'm a little skeptical. Like I, f- I feel like they could be a team where we look back at the end of the year and say, like, why did we think they were going to be so good? Um, where they just don't live up to these kind of preseason expectations that I, I don't know are totally fair when you lose everything that they lost off last year's team. I think they're going to be really dependent on those grad transfers being really good for them to to live up to the hype and we'll see if it happens, but like they're the team that makes me a little queasy, not because I don't, I I would rank them in the top 10, but I could see the scenario where they don't live up to that. Um, I just think you're putting a lot of faith in Chris Beard and Mark Adams, which is maybe well-placed faith, but you know, we'll see. I just, I wonder how talented that roster is uh, when you compare it to last year. Like, so that to me is where I'm a little uneasy about just how good they are. And maybe we'll look back on this and I'll sound really stupid because they're awesome, but uh, we'll see, I guess. Well, there's two things. One, um, I I just, part of the reason I have them there is because I think that Jamius Ramsey is going to be good enough that you're not questioning the talent level that they have, if that makes sense. Sure. And the other reason is in 2018, after that season, 
I'm going to go to my grave saying this, when they were the best team in the Big 12, they lost Keenan Evans, who was a first-team All-Big 12 player, who if he doesn't break his toe in early February, probably ends up being Big 12 Player of the Year as Texas Tech goes on to win that league title. They lose Neam Stevenson. They lost Tommy Hamilton. They lost Zaire Smith, who ended up being the number 16 pick in the draft. They lost Zach Smith. They lost Justin Gray. They lost, I believe it was seven of their top 10 players from – uh, from that team, and you know what they did the next season? Yeah, they were a stop away from getting, winning a national title. Yes. So I just – and another thing, I don't think – I think it's important to note that, like, Matt Mooney was really, really good. He's going to be playing in the NBA this year. Tariq Owens is a guy that is probably going to find a way onto an NBA roster at some point in his life. Jarrett Culver ended up being a top five pick in the draft. Like they, they were very, very good last year. And I don't know if um, the talent on this team is going to be able to match the talent on last year's team, which is why instead of having them as a top three team in the country, I have them as a top 10 team in the country. So uh, I, I do think that they are going to be really, really good. I don't think that expecting them to get back to the national title game is something that should be uh, in, seriously in their level of expectation, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I got gotcha. you. Like, again, I think that they'll be good, but I just it wouldn't shock me if they're the top ten team that we look back at the end of the year and it's like, yeah, we we overrated them. All right, you want to talk to me about uh, West Virginia so we can get out of here? Man, West Virginia, I I had the uh, the fortune, I guess, of being in a press conference where I really was worried about Bob Huggins's health going forward, where he just talked about how miserable he was, and he had good reason to be four and fourteen in the league last year. They kicked Issa Ahmad and Wesley Harris off the team, I believe in February or late January. Just a just a bad, bad year that Bob Huggins seemed to hate every single second of. Um, and I think he has said that he's never had a year like that. It was his least favorite year in his, you know, million years of coaching. And they had a year at Cincinnati where I think they won one big East game. So like this dude has been through some bad seasons in his career and last year may have been the worst. Um, and looking ahead, I don't know that it's going to be that much better this year. I mean, the good news is Derek Culver's back. I think he might be one of the best players in the Big 12. I would have him as a preseason first-team All-Big 12 player. Jordan McCabe, uh, Jerome Haley, Emmett Matthews is back. they got a McDonald's All-American coming in and Oscar Tishwebe, if I'm pronouncing that anywhere close to correct, the only McDonald's All-American coming into the Big 12 this year. But that's about it. I like it's it's Culver and Tishwebe. I think if you look at it, are like the high level Big Twelve talents, and one of those guys is a freshman, albeit a one with a seven foot five wingspan who's supposed to be awesome. But like Jordan McCabe, nice player, but is he a starting level Big Twelve guard? I don't know. Um, I just don't, I think this is the least talented team in the Big Twelve, and I don't know that it's particularly close. I think West Virginia, even with Huggins pushing every button and pulling ever every level that he can lever that he can to make this team good to, you know, if they have to reinvent, you know, they weren't really pressed Virginia last year. If they have to reinvent themselves again, I still don't know if the, just the talent is there for this West Virginia team. Um, so my bold prediction is they're going to finish last in the big 12 again. And, you know, that makes me wonder about Bob Huggins just because after watching him endure that year last year, I, uh, I, I hate to think of him doing it again with how just viscerally miserable he was. I mean, I, I saw him in Ames sit down on a bench. Somebody asked him how he was doing, 
and he just looked over and said, shitty, real <laughs> shitty. Like that, that was, <laughs> like, it was, it was unbelievable. So I just, uh, you know, my heart goes out to Bob Huggins, but I think they're going to be in for it again this year. Yeah. And, and I, I just, the only thing I have to add to that is I hope you now appreciate just how important and how valuable and how good Javon Carter and Daxter Miles were uh, in terms of being able to set the tone for what that Press Virginia program was. And, um, you know, Jordan McCabe is going to probably be like a fine basketball player, but he is not Daxter Miles and he is not Javon Carter and he's not going to be able to do the same things that those guys were able to do. Uh, so I, I just, I'm with you. I, I don't know if I don't know if Bob Huggins necessarily has the players that he needs to have to be able to succeed the way that he wants to succeed. Yeah, I mean, and maybe maybe they like their team more than we do, and they've got you know the the sum is greater than the the parts situation. But it's hard to look at that roster and feel really uh, bullish about West Virginia, in my opinion, for this season. I just don't know that they're going to have the talent. Yeah. I fully agree. And Travis, listen, man, we've kept you long enough. Um, I'm done talking about the Big 12. I'm done talking about Kansas. I'm done doing all that. So if you guys want to find Travis, you can find him on Twitter, at TravisHines21. He will probably be uh, asking your favorite coach questions and press conferences at some point throughout this season. So make sure you go give him a follow. You can find me on Twitter, at Rob Doster. Travis, listen, man, I appreciate the time. Uh, let's get out of here, man. I'm tired. I'm good. Some people just know bundling with Allstate means big savings. Just like they know the right ingredient means big flavor. They know honey on pizza is where it's at. And olive oil on ice cream is the cherry on top. And they know when you bundle home and auto with Allstate, you can save up to 25%. Mm -mm. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.